Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. Joined with me as always beaver blitz beat writer carter baines it is a bright and great day to be a beaver carter it is and uh it would be nice if i got a little bit more sleep to like enjoy this day fully but uh just landed at the eugene airport got back to corvallis uh, about an hour ago as as of the time that we're recording this and i'm you know, after the uh, the Hawaii game when we re- recorded our pod, uh, I was I think running on five hours of sleep. I got twenty minutes of sleep last night. The uh, the oh. late kickoff and then a, a seven thirty a.m. flight at LAX. And like fifty seven penalties that made the game even longer than it needed to be. Exactly, exactly. I was I think one of the, if not the very last person out of the Coliseum last night, uh, around two a.m. and Got back to my place in Santa Monica close to three and didn't get much sleep. Okay, so we are recording this the morning after or the day after Oregon State's historic win over USC, 45 to 27. Uh, It really wasn't even close. So that was the most points Oregon State has ever scored in the Coliseum. It is their first win in the Coliseum since 1960. Just an overall historic night. And Carter was there. He, he volunteered to take one for the team and to make that trip down to USC, um, which it sounds we were off before we recorded. it. We were talking about his, his weekend down in LA. It sounds fun. And let's just say Carter can handle not much sleep because he's young and he got to have a lot of fun. The single days of being a, a, a traveling beat writer sounds like a pretty, pretty good job right now. But Carter, let's just, I, I want to take fans. I, it looked like there was a pretty good contingent um, of Beaver fans in the Coliseum, but for those that have not been in the Coliseum, just tell me about the experience and what it was like uh, to be at, in that historic venue. Easily the best atmosphere that I've ever experienced for a college football game. And over the last now going on four years, I've been able to go to some pretty cool stadiums. Uh, Aloha Stadium back in 2019, Husky Stadium last year, uh, the Rose Bowl in 2019 when Oregon State played at UCLA. But this one definitely tops, tops them all. Um, the, you know, just the atmosphere inside one of the cathedrals of college football, really. And, um, getting to see the traditions at, at USC with, you know, that the prestigious marching band and the, the horse mascot, you know, the, with the, the Trojan on the horse riding around the stadium, uh, lighting the Olympic cauldron in the fourth quarter, the fireworks. I mean, you can go on and on. Um, but that campus is incredible. That stadium's incredible. The atmosphere was electric until Oregon State started running away with it. And uh, it, it cleared out pretty quickly in the second half. And you could hear a lot more Oregon State fans than USC fans down the stretch. Yeah. So did you get, you didn't make it over to Heritage Hall, did you? Um, maybe. I, I, I don't okay. know you like, the known. names so- to the. Yeah. Heritage Hall is the athletic department offices. And 
I have been there. Um, and I, I think a lot of you guys on the pod know that I grew up a huge USC fan and I don't really know why, but I did and grew up loving Todd Rinovich and everything USC. And I remember having a meeting back when I worked at Oregon state and we actually had a meeting in heritage hall. And when you walk in there, so imagine Valley football center, you know, with the, the trophies, but in heritage hall, it's like all the Heisman's. It, I did. I did. Okay, I walked okay. by it. I, I, I couldn't go in, but I saw from the outside, I saw all their Heisman's minus Minus one. Of Minus course. one. <laughs> so no, it, it's just it is. It's it's steeped in tradition. It's steeped in in just this college football lore. And, and granted, this is not the USC team that you know. I I noted right before the game started. I actually saw Jaquiz Rogers' wife tweet it. It was thirteen years ago, to the day that Oregon State beat then number one ranked USC at Reeser behind true freshman Jaquiz Rogers. So. I, I kind of saw that at the be- beginning of the game. Now I, I'm going to go up here. I'm, I'm on record here because I was one of only three of us this week in staff picks that picked Oregon State to win this game. Not as by as big a margin, but Eric picked, I picked, and Jacquez Rogers, our guest picker, picked Oregon State. So I don't get many right, but I, I'll take I'll take pride in that one. But my well, my is, three and oh my three and oh start to the season uh came crashing down but yes. I, I think i'm okay with it in this case uh, yes. another thing uh, with the facilities before we move on you know we we talk about being locked out of practice and everything at oregon state and you know they close things down after fall camp is over the secrecy at usc like it just takes things to a whole different level i walk by the practice field uh before the game and at Oregon State, it's it's like a chain link fence kind of with with some some pillars, and then there's like a you know like a banner that goes around, but you can kind of see through it. At USC, it, it is like it, it's like a steel wall about ten feet tall, so you can't see a thing at the practice field. Um, and there are a couple like you know ramps and staircases around for other buildings, and they have measured those walls to the exact height that you will not be able to see onto the field regardless of like where you're standing. Um, and that was, that was one thing that stood out to me was just the level of secrecy okay, that they but, take things to. But to be fair, their media gets to watch practice every day. They just can't report on injuries and, and all the, the stuff kind of the, but they do get to watch because that's how we knew all week that Jackson Dart wasn't even around yep. practice, yep. even though Dante Williams kept saying, oh, I'm, I know who we're going to go with at quarterback, but I'm going to keep it close to the vest. So you can't really when you let media in. But yeah, I've heard that their practice facility is pretty, pretty locked down. Um, just a super fun game. I, I, I got done writing. She said this morning when I got up and I got a little more sleep than Carter. So that's good. But I'm old and need the that's sleep. Not saying much. <laughs> You could sleep for a half hour and have me beat. So yeah, yeah, that's that's I, rough. I guaranteed I sound groggy and monotonous today, and that's not because I'm not enthusiastic. Because trust me, I'm in a great mood today. Uh, it's just that I haven't slept in almost forty-eight hours at this point. So so after we wrap up the pod, I will let you go, and I won't bother you the rest of the day. How about that? That works, except I got some writing to do. I know, mean. I'm a mean boss. Okay, so let's talk SC because I, I just think there's so much to celebrate. And I think you and I both, I, I try to be positive, but I think when you look at some of the losses over the past um, teen years, it's easy to kind of get bogged down in the negative and focusing on that. But I'm going to go right out. And I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see a lot of negative last night. I, I saw an offense 
that was near flawless. And I know the coaches would not agree with me and they would pick, pick apart, but I, I want to give a shout out to the offensive line, because I think when it comes down to it, these are guys that don't get any of the glory, but that was maybe one of the best offensive line performances I've seen from an Oregon State team in 20 plus years. Against four and five stars on the yeah. opposite side of the ball. You know, you're, you're looking at all Pac-12 caliber players, all American caliber guys, some of the top recruits in the country and Oregon State just flat out manhandled them at the line of scrimmage. And that was probably the most impressive thing to me. Um, I mean, there's individual performances up and down the board, Chance Nolan, 15 of 19, four touchdowns, BJ Baylor running for 158 yards against USC, which is the most by an opposing running back since 2019. Okay. And then Tyjon Lindsay with his first career 100 yard game found the end zone twice. Uh, all of those performances were incredible, but the offensive line 100% were the combined MVPs of this game. If, if the offensive line doesn't get that great of a push at the point of attack, Oregon State doesn't win the game. And, no sacks on Chance Nolan and, either. They didn't give up any sacks. And the fact that Oregon State won by the margin they did just speaks to how dominant Oregon State was in the trenches. It, it was impressive, like I said. And, and you brought up a good point, and you were down on the field. And one thing that always stood out to me, and maybe it's changed, but I don't think so, is when you, especially USC, that's maybe the, the biggest discrepancy in its size. When you're down on the field or when you're watching guys get off the bus and you see Oregon State players as opposed to the USC, USC, they're ginormous. So I don't, I don't know if you saw that this week, but I mean, you look, we'll talk defense in a minute, but USC's wide receiver, Drake London, ginormous. I mean, that's, um, that's a, that's a matchup issue. And, and that showed up and that was the one, I think really the only weakness for Oregon state in that game was the penalties. And a lot of those penalties stemmed from defending Drake London. Yeah. I mean, um, and that's, seriously. and that's, and that's what you get when you're going up against a, a Bolitnikoff candidate who's, you know, three inches taller than, than your tallest defensive back. And, you know, he's incredibly talented and he plays in an air raid offense. So, it, you know, it's going to be hard to slow him down. But even despite the penalties, you have to give Oregon State's defense a ton of credit for completely eliminating the rushing game. I mean, they held USC to, I believe, I'll pull it up real quick, 76 yards. Um, that's the third opponent they've held under 100 yards on the ground already. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, USC only scored 27 points, like that's a high powered offense that just put up, I believe 45 against Wazoo a week ago. So give a ton of credit to Oregon state's defense minus the penalties, uh, for another really, really strong showing. Yeah. So what, you know, we talked, there's so much that went right, um, in this game and, I, and there's even some unsung heroes. I mean, I, I look at, um, Trey Lowe, he had a couple really huge blocks that, wouldn't you know you probably wouldn't have just even noticed them right off the bat but watching that game or rewinding and watching a few of the plays huge blocks picked up blitzes um I liked scheme I, and what we saw we saw the the fly sweep return to Oregon State I was just gonna bring that up I said what what a better it, could there have been a better game to bring back the fly sweep than against USC when you have that connection with the Rogers brothers just dominating the Trojans. How about bringing back the fly sweep and, and using it a few times and, and finding success with it? I mean, yeah. I, I think 
we saw maybe three or four different receivers carry the ball on the fly sweep. I know Silas Bolden, Trayshawn Harris, and Tyjon Lindsay all did. Uh, Josiah Irish, Irish, he had yeah. a 15-yard carry. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool to see. And yeah, you know, Jonathan Smith gave uh, Coach Lindgren a, a shout out in the post-game press conference. He said, you know, he called a heck of a game. Um, the game plan was, it was intelligent, it was effective, and give credit to the players on the field because they executed it. Yeah, and and exactly. I mean, I think I think Brian Lindgren's game plan was was great. I, I think Chance Nolan. I mean, again, talk about another his his completion percentage has gone up every week that he's been a starter. Um, he throws. He's putting the ball in such the perfect spot. I mean, on one of those touchdowns to Tajon, it was placed perfectly. The the big catch that Harrison had for his touchdown. Hey, it was a great catch by, by uh, Treshawn, but I mean, talk about just perfectly placed and then being able to spread the ball out. We talked about that last week about how he gets so many players involved. We did see more from the run game this week, which is what you want to see. But I do think the coaches did a great job. One thing, Carter, I didn't talk to you about this before the game, but Eric and I were talking about it in that Jonathan Smith and his gambling. And we're, we want it. Gambles are fine if it makes sense, but we didn't see really any gambles. I and mean, we saw a few Coletto packages, but which, which made sense. The Beavers did go for it on fourth down, I think like fourth and five early in the game. And it was that play that, if I remember correctly, Nolan took off for a big run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the for the conversion. But that was really the only super aggressive call. It was more just a case of, to be honest, Oregon State got whatever it wanted. You know, it, yeah. it could get five yards of carry they finished at 6.4 yards per carry but it seemed like i i mean i have a hard time remembering a single negative run yeah uh, and no, then I nolan mean, going 15 of 19 passing you know you get everything you're looking for downfield too and yeah. you mentioned nolan's completion percentage and i think going 15 of 19 is very impressive but the fact that he threw two interceptions in this game like you might think that his completion percentage was a bit off if, if you throw two picks. Like this guy completed 75% of his passes. Yeah. Half of his incompletions were interceptions. And honestly, I don't think either one were entirely on him. The first one was just a very great, I mean, it was an impressive defensive play. I mean, it almost looked uh, like to, he was trying to throw it away. Yeah. It was the, amazing the toe play. tap yeah, by the, the defensive back in the end zone. And then uh, the second one looked like maybe a miscommunication of sorts or a Tyjean, the wide yeah. receiver tripped or something. Um, so neither of those, I don't, I don't think that's a, a knock on Nolan. I think they were just, you know, a, a right place, right time by the, by the defense. Yeah. I mean, it was just, this was an Oregon State team that was better prepared, better mentally prepared and physically prepared and just flat out a better team. And um, it, it was huge. Let's talk defense a little bit because you and I both been very critical of the defense at times of Tim Tibisar. Did this win help get him off the hot seat? At least uh, did it buy him a little more time? The overall product, I think, yes. The, the one thing that you're going to look at is the penalties and say, you know, you have to clean that up. And we kind of touched on it already. Um, I think a lot of teams are going to have a tough time staying in front of Drake London, um, keeping receivers in front of them when you go five wide uh, with to the extent that, that USC does. And that's a tough scheme to, def to defend against. But the fact that Oregon State came up with three interceptions, uh, took the ball away via fumble, 
um, and, and got quite a bit of pocket pressure. They sacked Keaton Slovis twice um, or hurried him another, another time. And the, in addition to the three interceptions, get four pass breakups downfield. So all around just another very well-rounded game by the defense. And I think outside of those penalties, uh, you just saw flat out execution by, by players at every single position. I, I would I would say that nothing was really flashy about this defense. I mean, it wasn't, but they were very workman, workmanlike. Um, they took care of business. I, I do want to give props to, and I, you know, Trent Bray and those middle linebackers uh, and, and Tim Tibisar for the adjustments they made. And I don't know, you probably saw it from the, from the box, but one thing that stood out early is, you know, we, we didn't see Avery Roberts name called a ton, you know, in that first half, it was kind of like, but if you watch, so it was the first quarter, I was kind of like, huh, we, after the first quarter, I thought, I was thinking to myself, we haven't seen Omar and Avery. So then I started really focusing on them and watching them. And they really had them hanging back and just kind of hanging in the middle there to take away that middle, those middle lanes. And it has actually burned Oregon State the past, you know, couple games. Held them back. But then in that second half, they started bringing Avery, Avery you know, rushed, rushed the passer. Um, I think that was the one that led to the, was that the fumble or was that the interception? Omar Spates It was had. the fumble. Uh, Roberts forced the fumble and then Spates right. picked it up. So, and that was after, that was after Rajon Wright should have gotten his second interception. Exactly. That's right. I think that was just a classic case of, you know, whatever the call on the field was, you weren't going to be able to overturn it. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the, the ball don't lie situation, yeah. if you will, yeah. uh, with Oregon State forcing a fumble on the next play. Yeah. So that was, I, I did, I liked the adjustment there. I liked the scheme. Um, yeah, I, I really can't complain a lot. I mean, we talked about the penalties. Yes. Okay. So what did Oregon State have 13 penalties for 144 yards, I believe? Is that what, it, right? what the final tally was? I'll, I can pull it up right I'm here. I'm it up the right stats here. Open. So um, let's see what I pulled the wrong one. Here. Here's penalties. penalties. 13 for 144. And the USC 13, had 12 for 106. Okay. So I'm going to start with the Oregon State. The 13 penalties. I, I think over half of those were Achille Arnold or Alex Austin, mm-hmm. who was primarily responsible for um, Drake London. You know, at first it was getting frustrating. And then after you start thinking about it, you're like, this is a, this guy is a junior and is a top two, three NFL draft prospect. I mean, this guy is going to be a mismatch in the NFL. And it's just, it's like you said, it's a hard, hard uh, person to block regardless. He's strong, he's tall, he has leverage. um, And then he is just known for those yards after catch. So um, it is what it is there. But can we talk a little bit about the Pac-12 officiating? Because after a few weeks, I thought that maybe things were getting a little better to have a total of 25 penalties for um, 250 yards total between the two teams. Well, I, I posed the Ow. question on Twitter. Do Pac-12 refs get paid by the holding call? Seriously. And in the first half, it certainly seemed like it because, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, like Alex Austin definitely was was holding on to Drake London a time or two, but um bj baylor broke off about about a 40 50 yard run it was called back for a phantom holding call uh, and then to see usc take the ball uh, and and get away with holding play after play i think was really infuriating but you have to give oregon state credit because they weathered the storm yeah um they continued to you know play to their principles and after a while the penalties started to even out a little bit and what you saw was USC had two penalties in the first half, 
and you just said they had 12 for the game. So yeah. USC has 10 penalties in the second half. And that was, and that was Oregon the had nine, I think nine. And so then they only had four of the second half. Um, and, and, and that was the killer for USC. You know, yeah. they were just, they were getting themselves in, in first and long, second and long, third and long, and they just couldn't string enough plays together to overcome that. Um, and so th- there was an element of, I think, USC shooting itself in the foot a bit. But again, like we, we just keep coming back to this execution across the board, regardless of a, a third and long, you know, you still have to make the play. And that's something that we've seen from Oregon State be an issue this year and, and in years past is, you know, getting them in, in third and long situations, but not being able to get off the field. They certainly got off the field on Saturday. Yeah. And I, and we talked about being prepared and mentally, like you said, I've seen Beaver teams in the past that would have broke when nothing was going their way and they would have hung their heads and it would have been, this is same old. And this was a team that they didn't, they didn't let it bother them. And, and you got to remember too, Oregon state was down in this game, 14, seven. Yeah. Then they scored, I, I want to say like 21 straight points or something like that to, to break it wide open. But there was a minute there where it looked like, you know, okay, USC is waking up. Here we go. Oregon State threw a pick in the end zone. USC capitalizes. They've got the lead. And you say, oh, the momentum's turning. Here we go. This is, you know, just your typical Oregon State at USC game. It's going to go downhill from here. But again, I, I said, you know, Oregon State just, they locked, they locked in. They stuck to their game plan and they executed it at a high level. And USC really just folded when things started going against them. Uh, and, and Oregon State capitalized on that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. It was, like I said, I, I really have nothing. I have no complaints in this game. I, I, I think looking then around the Pac-12, and we'll get to Pac-12 play a little later, I don't see a team now on the schedule that Oregon State can't beat if they can you know, put together um, – and especially offensively, a performance like what we saw, and if, if guys can stay healthy. Yeah, you know, the Oregon game, of course, at the end of the year will be tough, but I, you know, you, you said we'll, we'll get into the Pac-12 play in a little bit, but I think Oregon, you know, there is an element of um, have they really been tested as much as people think? Ohio State might look a little overrated this year. How impressive is that win? Uh, I think Oregon State, after going into the Coliseum, putting up 45 points against a bunch of four and five stars, holding Keaton Slovis to, to 27 points. Man, if, if you can do that against that caliber of talent, I don't care who's the head coach of, of that four and five star laden team. Uh, you're, you're proving that you can execute against the best players in the country. And that's going to bode well for Oregon state moving forward. And that certainly makes that season finale against Oregon really intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're not a member of Beaver Blitz, make sure you do check out beaverblitz.com. We had a really fun game thread last night. Carter was there from the Coliseum. I was here more locally, but I think we're almost to almost to 10,000 response or views for that game thread. Just a fun back and forth. Um, We have a lot of fun in Beaver Blitz, a lot of VIP content uh, that you will not want to miss, especially now that Pac-12 season is in play. So Uh, make sure you check out beaverblitz.com and and get into the lodge with that. Um, Let's talk some Pac-12 because the Pac-12 has looked really pretty dismal this this, uh, year. I I, I don't think that's an understatement. Um, Let's talk Pac-12 North though, because at at one point people were kind of down on the Pac-12 North, especially, you know, Oregon almost lost to Fresno State. Um, There's been some losses. I'm going to run down um, I don't know how many of these games, I don't think you probably watched many. Um, I didn't 
most of them were on the same time as ours. There was a whole slug of games there in the evening. Yeah, I, I actually did not watch a single college football game outside of Oregon State USC yesterday, which is probably the first time in as long as I can remember that I didn't watch any other college football. But I was following along uh, with some of the scores, and uh, it was another interesting day for the Pac-12 North. To it say it was. I didn't, I'm with you. I was not cruising around LA, but I was watching. I kind of got caught up in the Ryder Cup. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. But um, that was before the Beaver game. And we also celebrated my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So that was kind of a, a fun, that's a big milestone, 50 years. But um, let's talk a little bit about, the Pac so the Pac-12 North, Oregon beat Arizona. Washington beat Cal in overtime. Washington State lost to Utah. Stanford lost to UCLA. And then Oregon State beats USC. Looking, let's just look at the Pac-12 North, Carter. How does your kind of, how did your power rankings look on that? Well, this week alone, Oregon State obviously has the best win. Uh, Oregon kind of dominated Arizona in the second half. That was close for a while, surprisingly, but that's a game that Oregon should win by multiple scores. Uh, and so Oregon State's win was, was easily the most impressive and probably the most impressive win by a Pac-12 North team outside of Oregon over Ohio State. Um, but looking at the North, I mean, Utah's not a very good team this year, I don't think. And they take care of business against Washington State and win that thing by 11. Washington State is probably the, the unquestioned number six in the North right now. Uh, Cal and Washington are battling for that five spot. That was kind of an ugly game. You know, goes to overtime. Washington wins it by a touchdown. Um, that's it, both of those teams, I think, entering the season. Beaver fans were like, we might be on par with these schools everything that I've seen from those from those two and Oregon State at this point makes me think that Oregon State is above those two schools in the power ranking. So I'd put Cal and Washington at four and five. Stanford loses to UCLA. It's a very good UCLA team. Uh, Stanford's probably middle of the road in the north. And I'm very comfortable at this point in the season putting Oregon State at number two in the north right behind Oregon. Yeah, I think I think that's solid. Pac-12 South, so obviously USC lost to Oregon State, Arizona lost to Oregon, Colorado lost to ASU, and then we, we talked about Utah beating WSU and UCLA beating Stanford. What's your power rankings look like for the, uh, for the South? Arizona's obviously last. Uh, they're probably not going to win a game this year. Uh, Northern Arizona was their most winnable game, and they, they blew that one. Uh, after that, Colorado that offense has been atrocious. Uh, they cannot score the ball against anybody. Uh, they managed, what was it, 50 yards against Minnesota, I believe, last week. And Minnesota week. doesn't I look I remember great. we talked about that yeah, one. Yeah, um, And Minnesota Utah, doesn't look good. No, Utah comes in at, what would that leave them, fourth? Fourth. Um, and then ASU probably third, UCLA second, USC first going into the game. But after Oregon State, dominates USC, who's now lost two conference games by multiple scores, USC's fallen behind. And I think UCLA is the clear number one team in the South right now. So right now, if you were, if you were going to pick who's in the Pac-12 championship, is it Oregon, UCLA? Oregon, UCLA. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, the UCLA, Arizona State game might determine who wins that division, but I think UCLA is just playing much better football all around uh, than anybody else in, in that half of the conference. I, I would agree with you, but I, 
I, I don't know. At this point, after seeing what I saw from Oregon State last night, I, I, think, I think the game formerly known as Civil War is getting more interesting as we go. And, and who knows? I mean, Oregon State's schedule going into the year, we said, man, that's a brutal slate. I, I think, you know, I, I'm not going to go out and say that Oregon State's going to rattle off five wins in a row, but playing Cal, Washington, Colorado, Washington State, Utah, those are all, at, at this point in the yeah. season, they look like very, very winnable games. Stanford looks winnable. Um, I mean, there's, and then you finish the season with the two with ASU, Oregon. We've said it. You've you've mentioned it. You know this. There, there's not a team in this conference that Oregon State cannot beat, um, and we've said that the last two years. But it was more of a like, oh, Oregon State can be competitive with this team. Oregon yeah. State's going to keep it close here. They're going to be in this game. Now I feel like Oregon State is at the point where. They're not just keeping it close with teams. They're not just staying competitive. They're going to go out and they're going to beat teams. And they're going to beat them by a bunch of points as they showed in the Coliseum. I I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, if if they lay the hammer on a Washington State or a a, a Cal and and beat them by multiple scores. And that would be, I think, the true indicator of the the trajectory of this program is, is seeing that tangible next step where Oregon State's not you know, in these one possession games anymore, they're starting to blow teams out a little bit. That's going to be really exciting to see if they can continue to play this, this caliber of football. I think they're going to blow a couple teams out this year. Yeah. And that's, we've talked about this, you know, in the, in the whole rebuild process, you have the, the first year you're getting, you're the one getting blown out. And then the next couple of years, you might have some games that you get blown out, but you also have some games that you're right there and you might lose. And last year we saw, they lost several games by a score and now and, and we talked about this before the season. This was what we wanted to see. Is this going to be a team that takes that ne- next step then and, and wins some of these games? Um, confidence. What does this U- USC win do from a confidence standpoint for this Beaver team? I think it's absolutely massive. I think to, to beat a program that is a perennial powerhouse in this conference that has the national status that it does, um, that has the talent that it does. And then to go in and do something that your team hasn't done in 61 years, you know, that's, that's big. And I know, I know that Jonathan Smith said, you know, they didn't make a big deal of the whole losing streak and the Coliseum thing, but the players are aware, you know, like they know these things, they they're on social media. Um, they read some of the things that are written as, as much as they'll deny it. They know some of the storylines and to go in and, and then beat an opponent that you're expected to lose to. I think it's, I think it's validation for all of the hard work that they've put in, um, and to see that their their dedication to getting better is finally paying off in the form of big time wins. If you put just an ounce of confidence in a team that has a really strong work ethic, look out, and and that's what Oregon State has right now. They're on a three game winning streak and. And we know that Oregon State has that blue collar mentality, you know, that bring your lunch pail to work and and go in, go into the practice field and, and get out, um, you know, five times better than than you were when you started the day. That's what Oregon State brings. And when you combine that with confidence, you've got a chance to have something really special. Yeah, And, and I think it goes beyond like I, I think you're exactly right. And I think it goes beyond um, I mean, talking about intangibles and what this win does. I looked at it from a recruiting standpoint as well, or just an alumni, um, former player, fan base standpoint. And to see social media last night light up with commits 
that were watching, you know, watching and cheering from afar that, you know, that, that proud of that's my team and they're not even beavers yet. Um, and to do it in LA, which is a huge, we talked about this last week. It's just a huge recruiting hotbed, um, for Oregon state. So to go down there and be, I mean, USC had a lot of recruits there, you know, watching the game either unofficially or unofficial visits and to, you know, maybe open some eyeballs there with some of those guys like, Whoa, okay. Oregon state's recruiting me. Well, you've, you've got high school football players that are attending these games as fans, you know, and they say, oh, I want to play at USC. I want to play games in the Coliseum. And then they go see Oregon State win a game like that in such convincing fashion. They say, okay, Oregon State's legit. Like, uh, Coach Smith, like, give me a call. You know, like this is, Tyjon Lindsay said after the game, um, there's just something special about going home. He's from, he's from Southern California. There's something special about going home and, and winning in front of your friends and family. And, um you know, competing against some guys that you played with maybe in high school or, or, or growing up, um, it means something a little bit different. And he was, he was one of those kids that was going to USC football games and saying, I want to play on this field, whether it's in the Cardinal and gold or in another uniform that's going in and beating them. I want to play on that field and I want to win games in this stadium. And he did that. And he said it meant the world to him. It was a literal dream come true. Like he had dreamed about it. Um, and so you have kids like that in the stands watching that game. And it's kind of the, it's, it's interesting. There are a lot of Oregon state baseball players that'll mention that they watched the 06 and 07 national championships and said, that's what convinced them that they wanted to go to Oregon state. Very similar situation here. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting too, because they were talking about it on the broadcast last night about just Jonathan Smith and developing talent. And that was always something that they talked about with Coach Riley. And, but I, I had a fan reach out to me and remind me of this, that talking about, you know, here's Oregon State with Katan Oladapo from Central Catholic up in Portland. He was a, a, walk-on. Former, a walk-on and now is a, a solid starter contributor for Oregon State. On the other side of the field was four-star Elijah Winston, another Central Catholic grad, four-star USC recruit who stood on the sidelines, didn't play. It's you know, to see the development that takes place and, you know, wonder, you know, if you start thinking about that, like, huh, I mean, I'm here wearing the Cardinal goal, but I'm not playing. And there's my former brother, but watching and, and seeing the former players on social media, you know, just excited for this team. And, you know, it does bring out a brotherhood. <clears throat> and I want to just briefly touch on the news that broke later in the, this past week, that former Beaver great JJ Young passed away. JJ was a star tailback back in the Jerry Pettibone years in the nineties, um, back when I was a, a college student. So, um, that one kind of hit because he was this amazing, you know, this, those teams that win a lot of games, but what Jerry Pettibone did and, and bringing the talent and, and that belief. And I, I saw a, a brief video, someone posted in the lodge from back in that time. And they talked about the brotherhood that they have, you know, once a beaver, always a beaver. Then we also saw, um, the last surviving player to play for Oregon State in the Rose Bowl, Andy, is it Lanterman or I don't Landman? know what the last name is, but I saw that the Oregon State football Twitter account. Yeah, and, um, and to see that photos and to see the photos of the him smiling talk, and, you know, there is that brotherhood. And so to see that come through, um, see the alumni, see the fans, the fan base excited and proud. So, you know, that segues right into <clears throat> Washington this week, huge game. And, and another team that I think Oregon State has a, a strong shot, shot to, to, you know, compete with 
very, very well. So let's talk a little bit about Washington. What do you want to see from this offense this week against the Huskies? It has to be this. It almost has a trap game feel. You know, you're coming off of a very emotional victory, um, a game that you weren't expected to win, and you go out and you play like that. There tends to be in college football that that letdown game, the next one. Um, and it's it's interesting that there's sometimes where, you know, maybe you have a big game coming up and you overlook an opponent or you're coming off with the high of a big win uh, and you overlook the next opponent because of that. What I need to see from Oregon State is the we're going to come back to work and, you know, what we did last week has no bearing on this game. And that was the attitude of the players that we talked to after the game uh, in the Coliseum. Chance Nolan said, you know, we're, we're not done yet. We're coming back to work on Sunday. We're going to be in the film room. We're getting ready for Washington. This game was was fun and all. We're going to celebrate the win tonight. Um, but we're coming back to work tomorrow and, and we're going to get our, we're going to make sure our head's on right and, 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 and get ready for, for game planning. But if I think if Oregon state comes out with that mentality of this is a new game, um, you're going to continue to see that the offense play at, at a high level. I, I think that was what separated that 2000 Oregon state team was that ability to be in the moment at that game each week. And I think that's uh that's a huge, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for adults. It's hard for kids. It's hard for college kids, college age players. But um, if they can do that, you're right. You're absolutely right. If they can look at this as a brand new week and have that same focus and dedication, there's a lot of good things that could happen, um, happen with this, with this team defensively. How do you want to, I mean, same kind of thing. I mean, is there anything special you want to see from Tibisar's defense this week? I think it's a big opportunity. You know, Washington's offense really struggled the first two weeks of the season. Uh, they managed, what was it, seven points against Montana and 10 against Michigan, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, that's about as bad of a start to the year as you can have on the offensive side of the ball. They've turned it on recently. They, they kind of piled it on Arkansas State, and then they put up 31 against Cal. Uh, but I'm still not convinced that that offense is as good as we thought it might be. Um, Dill Morris, very good quarterback, but there's just something missing there. And I question if maybe it's a Jimmy Lake thing, you know, being a defensive guy, if there's a, a scheme, if something's missing from the scheme. Uh, but I think Oregon State's defense has an opportunity to kind of set the tone. And, you know, if, if they can force Washington into doing the things that led them to struggle in week one and week two, this could be a, this genuinely could be one of those big wins for Oregon state that we're talking about one of those potential blowout games. Uh, but it is going to come back to, you're going to have to execute on both sides of the ball. And um, if, if they come in with a game plan like they did against USC, that was clearly, you know, very, very well planned out uh, and they can execute it to the same level. I, I see Oregon state coming away with a win. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I'd, I think they're, they've got that identity now in offense. I mean, they are multifaceted. Um, they're going to run. They're going to pass. They're, I love the fly sweep added addition in there. You got your tight ends. Um, just a lot. It's, it's a multi-headed monster that uh, teams have to defend. Defensively, I agree. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'd, I would love to see Oregon State put pressure on, on uh, Washington early, maybe set the tone. But, um, yeah, I think this is Oregon State's to – this is – their game that they 
it's how they prepare is going to going to dictate it's, it has nothing to do with Washington. And that's, I think, going to be the case for the next five weeks. As yeah. we mentioned earlier, every single one of these games looks winnable now. Um, and so maybe maybe the pressure's off Oregon State because there are so little expectations from outsiders, but maybe the pressure's on internally to keep playing at this level. I, I don't know. I think, I think the leadership does a great job, and I think there are um, the captains on this team and the experience lends itself to um, a very productive culture. And so I don't think that's going to be much of an issue, but if they continue, like I, like I keep coming back to saying, if, if they continue that blue collar attitude of this is a, a one week at a time type of thing, the sky truly is the limit for this yeah. team. Like what we have seen over the last three weeks, this program is genuinely turning a corner. Um, and it, it might sound like we're just reacting to one game. Like it was obviously a very big win, um, but the way that they did it and the fact that they're stringing these wins together, you can, it, you can just feel it. Like there's something intangible about yeah. it that just feels like the culture and, and the progress has shifted in a way that like Oregon state is arriving. And, and I don't think the national media or even PAC 12 local media, aside from those of us that cover Oregon state day in and day out necessarily recognizes that. So I think that's good. That bodes well, because I still think Oregon state can sneak up on some people, but like you said, I mean, they are going to be, I think, their toughest opponent going forward in that, um, that the mental preparation and, and physical preparation. But um, no, I think it's exciting. But uh, we don't have damn questions today, Carter, because we are taping this so early. Um, but we will bring them back next week. I am Angie Machado. He is Carter Baines. And we are going to let him go so he can finish writing some stories and get a little bit of sleep from this uh, big, big weekend down at USC. Carter, it's been great and uh, stick with us next week. We'll be back for another episode of the damn podcast.